You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Steve. Man, Steve and Suzanne are two of my favorite people in the world. <laughs> Just uh, such an authentic pastor, such a great friend, and a great example of Jesus. And it is awesome to be here. This is really special for me because this is a special place in my own life. And Steve, as he was talking about where I was at in high school as, a, as an athlete, and, and how do you get there? How do you end up getting to that place? Um, for me, I was looking for success. I was looking for happiness. I was looking for purpose as a kid. And you know, right now, are you enjoying the Olympics? It's happening right now. I love the Olympics. I've loved it my whole life. Ever since I first uh, remember watching it, 1976 is the first Olympics that I really remember watching on TV. And, uh, but my hometown is Coos Bay, Oregon. That's where I grew up. And we had an Olympic runner there. A man named Steve Prefontaine was our, our hometown hero. And so from the very time I was in kindergarten, you know, that was like who I aspired to be, to be like him. And, that, and so my parents had started jogging and so I started running along with them. And I just believed that if I could be successful, if I could achieve certain things in life, that would bring purpose, that would bring happiness to me. And so by the time I was eight years old, I was competing at a national level. Uh, when I was nine, I ran 454 for 1500 meters and just kind of believed that uh, if I worked harder than anyone else, then I would be better than everyone else. Anybody have that belief? I don't know how that got into my head because it's not completely true, but I really believed it was true. So I was willing to do anything to um, be successful. And so uh, I was in, in following those dreams and following in those footsteps of, of Steve Prefontaine. I had the same coaches in high school. I knew, you know, would go to University of Oregon for track camp every year. Um, but my, it was my junior year of high school that we moved from Coos Bay to Bend, Oregon. And right after moving here to Bend, I got a call um, from my friends back in Coos Bay and there had been a, a, a car accident. And my best friend in high school was killed in that accident. He was the only Christian I knew. Uh, my roommate was the driver of the car. He was driving under the influence. He was okay. Another student who was in this car with him ended up paralyzed from the waist down, somebody I'd known you know, my whole life. And I didn't know the Lord. And I remember just processing this event and just, it, it really hit me, confronted me with eternity and with the frailty of life. Um, and so I began to seek meaning, seek, uh, seek the Lord, really. I didn't know who I was looking for exactly, but I began to ask those deep questions and uh, ended up at Bend High School. I got a picture here from Bend High. This is when I became a lava bear. That was uh, my junior year of high school. And so um, while I was at Bend, I started attending Young Life. Um, I started reading the Bible. Um, that year, I ended up winning the state championship in cross country. And I just remember when I finished that race, I just felt so empty. Why? Because everyone expected me to win. By that point, I, I had, nobody had beaten me that year. And I just felt this tremendous pressure, like you have to win. If you don't win, you're gonna be a failure. I could kind of relate to Simone Biles like in terms of what the, the pressure that athletes put on themselves. And so when I finished that race, all I thought was, man, I should have run after. Even though I won, I, I just thought, 
I should have run faster. I don't know what was wrong. I didn't have that good of a race. And then it also hit me that if this, if success is meant to bring me happiness, I'm never going to be happy. Like if this, this is what I've worked towards ever since I was a little kid. And now I'm here and I just remember just thinking this, you know, if I'm not happy because of this event, then I'll never be happy no matter how much I achieve. And I feel like that's an important word for some to hear today, that if you are pursuing happiness through success, you will never be happy that there is something more. And I just remember that's when I really began to seek the Lord. I really began to dig deeper. And um, it was that winter that I found the Lord, that I, I ended up through Young Life, through the church, through the friends that I had at high school, I, I found the Lord and I just discovered that this is what I was gonna pursue. This is what I was gonna follow the rest of my life with all my heart. And I really felt like if I pursued athletics with that kind of focus, I needed to now pursue the Lord with that kind of a focus as well. And so um, out of that, you know, I began to come to this church, Westside Church over on 14th Street back in those days. And Cliff and Mary were my pastors. It's so good to see you here today. It was, and it wasn't just me, but I had another friend who came to Christ, same class at, at Bend High School, Andy Lovelace. He's now a pastor of Foursquare Church in Grand Junction, Colorado. Another one of my closest friends, the second runner on our team, Matt Sabo, is now a pastor on the East Coast. And then there was uh, another, we had like four pastors come out of this group and um, just was so thankful for the, the, what the Lord was doing in that time in my life. But as a brand new Christian, I struggled with guilt. I struggled with shame. I struggled with my own perfectionism. I could relate to Romans chapter seven, which you looked at last week which that describes that struggle that we have with the sinful nature. It's still there, even as Christians, we desperately need the Lord's help. Today we're gonna look at Romans 8, which I think is like one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. When Steve said, I want you to speak on Romans 8, I was like, just read Romans 8. Romans 8 is so much better than Romans 7. <laughs> so I'm so glad to be able to have this text. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 8, and we're gonna hit some of those highlights here. Romans 8, Verse one says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Anyone wanna say amen? Thank you, Jesus. I mean, have you ever blown it? <laughs> you ever blown it? How about in the last week? Have you sinned? <laughs> How about in the last 24 hours? Have you ever felt unworthy? Have you ever felt condemned? Have you ever felt embarrassed? Have you ever felt shamed, struggled with shame? This verse speaks to those things which we all feel in moments in our life. And some people carry these burdens, have a hard time shaking these burdens ever. But there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, it says. Somebody needs to remember that today, to apply that today. Brené Brown, some of you uh, love her writing, maybe her uh, TED Talks, but she says, shame is the most powerful master emotion it's the fear that we're not good enough. You know, to fail is human. This is why Jesus came. And so he wants to set us free because it doesn't matter how hard we try, we cannot keep the law. 
We cannot hit that perfection that God's righteous holiness demands. That's why, this, as it says here, Jesus came to be a sin offering, to set us free. And so we have this human condition that Jesus Christ addresses. In him, we no longer live under the law. It's impossible to keep that perfect standard of God's law. But he fulfilled that and he shares that righteousness with us. So my encouragement to you is to live life free from condemnation and shame. His grace is greater than any sin that we have. His grace is greater than any shame that we might carry. And this is just so important. You know, at our church in, in Eureka, California, we have um, a, a tremendous recovery ministry. So we have Teen Challenge. They have about 100 people who attend our church. The Rescue Mission, they attend our church, the people in that program. Celebrate Recovery is a big part of what we do. And, and you know, there is a desperation for God. There is a free acknowledgement of people's brokenness that brings also great joy and freedom in our worship and, and to see what God's doing. But a big part of that is being free from that condemnation. Well, let's go on to verse six. Romans 8, six says, the mind that's governed by the flesh is death but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So this is interesting language, right? The mind governed by the flesh is death. To govern means to be controlled by something or to be subjected to something. And the mind is the battlefield of our behaviors. It is where we make our decisions. It's where our spiritual life is lived out in many ways is in our thought life and in our mind. And we have this gift of free will. We are responsible to God and others for our decisions and those consequences. So what's governing your life? What is leading to those behaviors? Ultimately, we want our words and our actions to glorify Jesus, to express his love in our world to our neighbors and our friends. But You know, going back to my story, I'd always believed that that success would bring me happiness in life. And the world defines success as achievement and wealth. So as a high school athlete, I had decided, I had to decide which path to take. And so the track season of my junior year ended up being very disappointing, very discouraging. Spiritually, I'd come to know the Lord, but that year I felt like I just couldn't improve. I was trying, but God was taking me a new direction. My goals were changing. And although I still loved running, I had placed Jesus as my first love and above all my hobbies and other loves. And I felt that I owed it to the Lord to give him that same devotion I'd given to sport. And so ministry became the focus of my life, the desire of my heart. But to try to decide where I was gonna end up in life, I had to decide between Yes, Life Bible College or a Division I school, University of Oregon, or I applied for Dartmouth. I was accepted into West Point. And, you know, I was looking at this unaccredited Bible college with no scholarships and no running program versus a more prestigious school. And that ultimately led to a great deal of conflict in my home with my, my parents, whom I love very, very deeply. Um, But I knew that the Lord was calling me into ministry. And so I was wrestling with this decision. What would I do? Where would I go? But God was confirming this calling to ministry over and over again. And I had just gotten off the phone with um, a pastor, youth pastor of mine, Grant, Grant Esberg. And he had just really encouraged me. Yeah, you need to do what the Lord's calling you to do. You need to follow through with that. 
And so in that um, situation, I ended up telling my parents, ultimately, I'm going to go to Bible college. This is what I'm going to do. This is what God's calling me to do. And their answer to that was, if you're going to do that, then you, you should go now. <laughs> ultimately, you should go now. Like, you can, if you're going to stay in our house, you're going to go to University of Oregon, or you're going to go to a big school. If you're going to Bible college, then you're on your own. And that was graduation day from high school. I had $300 and a duffel bag. And I told them, I said, I love you, and um, if this is God, it'll work out. If it isn't, it won't. And so I got a ride with a friend who was going to UCLA the next day after graduation, showed up at Life with, you know, I hadn't even been accepted into the school. I think they looked at me like, this kid, what is he doing here? And so, um, but I never regretted that decision. God provided every step of the way. And surrender isn't always easy. Obedience can be one of our biggest struggles, but we can trust God day by day as we live our lives. So let your thoughts be under the rulership of the Spirit. Let your thoughts be governed by the Lord and ultimately trust Him with His leadership in your life, wherever that is gonna be, because there are moments in our life where we will be torn between what looks good on paper and what God is really leading us to do. And so Romans 8, verse 12, then he goes on to say, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. Put to death, it says, the misdeeds of the flesh. That speaks of growth. It speaks of change. It speaks of learning through trial and error. You know, and this is the process of discipleship that we go through. Now, if you enjoy the outdoors, uh, then you know what it is to be humbled, right? Anyone enjoy the mountains? I mean, I fell in love with the mountains here in central Oregon. This is one of the things you have here that is, is wonderful. But when I was in Seattle, we lived in Seattle for 15 years. We raised our children there. And I had one of my best friends, his name's Uli, Uli Steidel. Uli won, literally won the master's division at the Boston Marathon. He is, uh, has the course record for the Portland Marathon. He's run 213 for the marathon. He also won the North Face 50 mile challenge, like the best 50 milers in the country. He's just a great runner. And one day he called me and he said, Matt, I want us to climb Mount Rainier. Will you go with me? Like, will you go? I was like, sure, I'd never climbed Mount Rainier before, you know, but I was in really good shape. We were both really good runners. And so I said, well, how, are you, how do you want to do it? And he said, well, we're just going to bring our running shoes and we're going to run up the first half of the mountain. Then we'll put on our crampons and we'll rope up and I'll guide you to the top and we'll do it in one shot up and down, you know. And so I said, sure, why not? And so we literally did that. We put on our running shoes. We ran up the first half, kind of trail ran up to Camp Mir. But then at about 12,000 feet, that's when the migraines started setting in for me. I started just getting this bad migraine. Altitude sickness is a real thing, even on a mountain like Mount Rainier. Started feeling really, really sick, and we started slowing down, slowing down, you know, 12,000, 13,000 feet up. And then, all of a sudden, Uli, my guide, starts throwing up. It's never a good sign when your guide is throwing up. So... And I'm like, oh, man, you're not keeping the fluids in. Like, what are you going to do? Drink more. Drinks more, throws up again. So we're pretty, and I'm just feeling terrible. I'm not throwing up, but I'm feeling awful. To make kind of a long story short, we stopped 600 feet from the summit of, of Mount Rainier, and we decided to get down off the mountain because we knew we were only going to get sicker, 
And if you're not keeping fluids in, going home is going to be really difficult. So as we're heading down the mountain, we're looking for water. We ran out of water, you know, and we're on glacier, but we can't find water. And we're looking around and Uli's like, Matt, Matt. He starts calling for me and I'm standing like from here to there from him. And he's like, Matt. And then he looks at me and he says, have you seen Matt? I was hiking with this guy named Matt. I don't know where he is. I said, Uli, I'm Matt. And then he looked at me, he's like, oh, we really need to get down the mountain. So we made it down to Camp Mir. We, there was some water there. I drank the water, I threw it up all over. Like this camp, this uh, mountain ranger, a ranger was there and he's like, I was like, can I clean this up? He's like, no, just get down the mountain. You gotta get lower. Anyway, so I was like, I'm not, if I ever climb Rainier again, I'm gonna do it differently. So a couple years later, I get a call and it's like Uli and his, his girlfriend, Trish, they're like, Matt, we wanna get married. Will you do our wedding? I said, yes. And then they said, well, we're gonna do it on the summit of Mount Rainier. <laughs> Could you please officiate it? And I said, sure. And I go, how long are you gonna to take to climb it? They said, we're just gonna go straight up to the top, get married and come back down. I said, I'll meet you halfway. <laughs> I'm not doing that again. So I went up a day early and went as slow as I possibly could for the first half. I slept, I took my time. And then uh, they literally like came cruising through at night. I joined them. Um, they, and as we were going up, the groom got cold feet. No, anyway. But they ended up tying the knot. Anyway, we made it to the summit. They got married and uh, made it back down. But I had to learn from that mistake. You know, we have to learn from our mistakes. We will fail. But hopefully we do things differently the second time. If you have recently kind of blown it, made a mistake, you have regrets. Ken, don't live in that shame. But instead, may we put to death those misdeeds, those obvious things that we do wrong. We make those mistakes but we're not meant to live in those kinds of repeated mistakes. Um, Uli went on the next, like a couple years later, he set the record for summiting Rainier. By far, he holds it to this day. It's like four hours and something up and down the mountain. Well, anyway, let's go on then to verse uh, 28. This is the high point of the book of Romans as far as I'm concerned. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Anybody have that verse memorized? God, all things work together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. All things are working together for your good. He has a plan, he has a purpose, he has a direction that he's leading you. And when I went to Life Bible College, I never thought I would compete again as a runner. I laid that down completely. But in 1992, I was a youth pastor and I was watching the Olympics on TV. And at that Olympic trials in 1992, there was a man here from Bend named Dave Peterson who'd competed in the Olympic trials. When I was in high school, I used to train with him. And I thought, you know what, if he went to the Olympic trials and a lot of my friends are going to the trials, maybe I could go to the Olympic trials the next one, 1996. And I really felt like the Lord said, Matt, you're only gonna be this age once. Like, go ahead and pursue that goal. And so I called John Lodwick, he was a friend of mine, and I said, John, would you coach me for this next Olympic trials? He said, sure, you can do it. And so he put me on this training program and I ended up going to the trials in 1996 and again in 2000. So you see these dreams kind of come full circle in our lives. I don't compete anymore. But because of 
Steve's influence, I coach high school now. <laughs> when, I, when we saw Steve here a while, um, several years ago, he told me he was coaching tennis at Summit High School. And I was like, how do you have time to do that? And, but I was looking at my own life, and Heidi and I were now empty nesters. When we moved to Eureka, we left our children behind. That's another story. I got a picture of our family. We've got um, two adult children, and this is us all in Seattle. Um, but we left our kids behind, and um, when you don't have kids around, your life can become very selfish. It really can. I mean, I was looking, I was like, I've got, it's Heidi and I, we've got a good marriage, we've got the church, but pretty simple. Those of you who have kids know what I'm talking about. You know how crazy it is having the kids like who are involved in school and schedules and all of that. And so I, I told the Lord, I said, if anyone asks me to coach high school, I'll say yes to it. That might bring some balance to my life. But I didn't tell anyone that. I only told that to the Lord. And within a week, somebody from Eureka High School said, we need a cross-country coach. Would you come do it? And I knew, I was like, okay, <laughs> I guess so. I have to say yes to that because I already told the Lord I would do that. And so I've been coaching now for um, like six years. I got a picture of the kids here. These are, this is our team. We're not as good as these teams here in Central Oregon. You guys have the best runners here. But um, it, it's really exciting now to be able to invest in them and to just give, just to give uh, time away. I really felt like the Lord also said when you started coaching, you're not going to evangelize, you're not going to proselytize, just love them and just be the presence of Jesus in their life. And it was this past year that we had a number of the kids get baptized, um, they've gotten involved in the church. So we see a kind of a, a new thing happening with the kids on the team because of, of that example, really. And so... All things are working for the good in your life. God is predictably good. And just remember this, if you're going through a hard time, who's not going through a hard time? Remember, all things work together for the good in your life. It doesn't mean everything's good in your life, but it means God is working in the midst of that situation. He is predictably good. And just two weeks ago, I met with a man in our church who was just diagnosed with a, an aggressive form of leukemia. It's a very terrible situation. You know, we have friends in the hospital right now with COVID. And all of these things that are happening around us, this isn't the result of God's goodness. This is the result of sin. You know, disease and sickness isn't something that God inflicts upon us to teach us a lesson. No, in the midst of those situations, he's working something good in the midst of a painful, broken world. He's working good into your life. What are you going through right now that's difficult? Look for the good of what he is doing. He is our healer. He's on your side. He understands what you feel like nobody else. So identify the good that God is doing in your life right now. In verse 31 through 39, it says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is it who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Anyone want to say amen to that? <laughs> amen. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. No matter what happens, you are more than a conqueror through Jesus. Nothing can separate you from his love, so don't be fooled by your emotions. Okay? Our emotions are not the basis of what reality, they do not define reality. The scripture defines reality. This is the truth to stand on no matter how you feel. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. So if you feel like God's a million miles away, he's not. Okay, his love is present. This is where faith comes in. And many people, they build their faith on their emotions. And unfortunately, uh, we, can't, we can't trust our emotions. So we will face great difficulties, but we will never face them alone. I want to encourage you today that nothing can separate you from his love. We've all been through a very difficult season. You know, and some of the, for you, some of you, it's been more difficult than for others. You know, some of you have faced divorce, you've faced a lot of fear, you've faced a great deal of conflict, you've, you've faced losses and disappointments. Romans 8 is for you. It's a word for you. It's, it's a call not towards denial, but towards the truth to embrace the love that's available there for you. There's no condemnation. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Don't base that on your emotions. Base it on the truth of God's word. Let's bow our heads and respond to the word of the Lord. If you'd close your eyes just with me for a moment. Lord God, I thank you for your truth. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As you hear this message, the real question is, is are you in Christ Jesus? He's reached out to you, but we have to respond to his love, respond to his grace. Say yes to him. And as you say yes to him, you're free from shame. You're free from sin. I want to encourage you that nothing can separate you from his love. And for those who felt far from God, I would encourage you today to stand on the truth. He's right there. He's with you. He's reaching out to you. He's setting you free. He's giving you hope. You may be going through a really hard time, but all things work together for the good. He's working good in the middle of that situation. So hold on to him. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, thank you. It's so wonderful to be able to be with you today. God bless you. Thank you.